So we're beginning 2023 with a series of messages I've titled Words for a New Year. And as I've prayed for you and for our church, I've sensed that the Spirit has a fresh invitation for us, new directives for this upcoming season of life and ministry. And I've distilled it down to three words. And those three words are rest, re-engage, and reconcile. And if you were with us last week, the message was all about resting in God, resting in his love, his provision, his working. We went back to Genesis and we reminded ourselves that true rest has always been located in God's availability and accessibility to us in relationship. And we know that we discovered that rest comes within the good beautiful and life-giving order that God has established. We then turned to the Psalms and we were beckoned to leave behind both unruly ambitions and our infant-like anxieties in order to receive Christ's rest, to become, as the Psalm said, like a weaned child in the lap of his mother. And remember that the Christian life, it doesn't begin with a big do, but it begins with a big done. From start to finish, we live in utter and joyful dependence upon Jesus. Come to me, all you who are wearied and burdened, our Lord calls. And what does he say? And I will give you rest. So that's where we started the year in rest. And as that invitation to rest continues to seek deeper into your souls, I want us to give ear today to our second 2023 directive, which is to re-engage. That's the word, re-engage, that we will be unpacking today. So what does it mean to re-engage? If you look the word up in a dictionary, you'll find something like this. Uh, it means to To re-engage means to participate again in something with which you've once been involved. To participate again in something with with which you have once been involved. And that's a good working definition. But I'm a word nerd. I like to break things apart. I like to investigate their etymology. And as I look at that word re-engage, I can see that there's two prefixes. Re and N, and then there's a root, gauge. So I want us to kind of investigate this word a little deeper. So that first prefix, re, it means back again. We see it in words like repeat and revisit. It contains both a notion of repetition and a notion of return. Then we've got our next prefix, N. It means entry into We see that in words like engross and enrapture. It both has this direction. We're being drawn towards something, but it's also immersive. We're being brought into it. But entry back again into what? Well, back into gauge. Gauge is an archaic word that we don't use much anymore. It used to show up in sentences like this. The diplomat gauged his life as a forfeit 
if his negotiations with the warlord failed. Something like that. Gage means to offer something of value in pledge as a guarantee of good faith. So let's put all those things together. The call to re-engage is the call to dive back into a state of pledge where you offer something of great value, namely your own life, as an assurance of your good faith, your trust. To me, this sounds an awful lot like Romans 12.1, which says in the NIV, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. It also reminds me of the risen Christ's words in Revelation to the Ephesian church, When he says this, he says, you've forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. Jesus implores us to re-engage with him, to enter back into that lifestyle of worship where we lay the whole of ourselves upon the altar of his grace. And we say, All that I have, all that I am is yours. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was dead and you've made me alive. I was a sinner and you've shown me mercy. Your grace has been utterly transformative. I've been bought with a price. And so now I honor God with my body. I honor God in this body. There was an old hymn that I grew up singing that kind of sums this up. It went something like this. Take my life and let it be consecrated, Lord, to thee. Take my moments and my days. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. Let them flow with ceaseless praise. What's that song song saying? It's saying, re-engage because this is your true and your proper worship. So I want to make sure we get everything clear and clarified. What is it that we engage in this re-engagement? What thing of value do we offer to God again in pledge? Well, it's the whole of who we are. It's our heart, soul, mind, and strength. It's our full selves uninhibited. Nothing held back. We don't give him a gift, a portion, a tithe. We bring our entirety to him. He said, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Bring the entirety of who you are and follow me. So that's what we engage. With whom do we engage? Do we re-engage? Well, we re-engage with the triune God, with God the Father, 
with Christ Jesus, his son, and with the Holy Spirit who comforts and guides and empowers us to live as God's people out in our world, in our community. But we also re-engage by extension. We're going to commit ourselves to God's people, to one another, to this extended spiritual family into which we've all been adopted into by virtue of Christ's rescue. Because we can't get the one without the other. Jesus says, I am the head, but this is my body. So if we're re-engaging with God, we have to re-engage with his church. In these last few years, I feel like the pandemic has sidelined us. We've grown isolated, and I don't know if anyone else experienced this, but it feels like our worlds have shrunk in size. Our emotional and our relational capacities have atrophied. And other priorities have begun to crowd out that which was once important to us. I sense in us and in myself this kind of inordinate longing for for comfort, for security. And much of my bandwidth has been occupied with diversion and distraction. Our former kind of rhythms of life have been disrupted. We've forgotten the love we had at first. And our old lifestyles that reflected and embodied the things we valued, intimacy with God, authentic community, being an agent of God's blessing out in the world, some of that has gotten lost along the way. And I'll give you one small example, a telltale symptom. Pre-pandemic, your average committed churchgoer, someone who was in, who recognized their vital need for Christian community, they typically missed about one Sunday a month of corporate worship. Now it's flipped. The typical regular attender of a church now only walks through the door. This is a committed person only walks through the door about once a month. We've grown a little flaky. We've grown lukewarm and Christ calls us to re-engage. And lukewarm, many of you guys know that verse from Revelation where Jesus says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. He says, re-engage. So as we re-engage with God, with Christian community, what activities are we invited to participate in once again? I see four things. Worship, growth, confession, and mutual upbuilding and life-giving service. I feel like I can say all sorts of things about this, but I want to locate our reflections in a passage of scripture. So if you could turn with me to Hebrews chapter 10, the epistle of the Hebrews, author unknown, and we're going to read together starting in chapter 10, verse 12. And this is what we read. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, 
He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus died on a cross for us. He dealt with the consequences that our wrongdoing, our rebellions had incurred. And it was a definitive victory. The repercussions are still being felt. The full implications have yet to be realized. Jesus defeated the power of evil, sin, and death. And right now, he is in the process of making all things new. I find that metaphor helpful that Jesus' sacrifice at Golgotha was like the Allies' victory at Normandy in the Second World War. Because the Nazis' fate was sealed on D-Day. Their hold on Europe had been broken. Their regime collapse was inevitable. But the Allies still had to finish the job and push forward to Berlin. But the tide, it had been turned. The heavy lift had been finished. And the same is true for us when we look back at the cross and the empty tomb. Our sin has been dealt with. Christ's victory is assured and we are caught up unexpectedly in his triumph. And it says he will reform us. He will perfect us. He will set us apart as reliable reflections of his character. He will employ us as ambassadors of his mercy and his power. That's what he will do and what he is doing. And then we keep reading in verse 15. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us. For after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. The old Jewish system of sacrifice is done away with because it's been fulfilled. It's been satisfied. The decisive offering has been made on our behalf. The offering up of Christ On the cross. It's what we celebrated at the Lord's table together. And we keep reading, therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, since we have a great priest over the house of God. He's saying that access, he or she, we don't know who the author is, access has been secured for us. We have confidence to approach God's presence. We can stand before his utter goodness, his his blinding holiness, not on account of anything we've done, not because God has lowered his standards and decided to let us in, but because of what God in Christ has done on our behalf. And it's in light of this, it's in light of what we're resting in, that then the author tells us how to re-engage. And this is the first thing we read. 
let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Draw near with a true heart. If you're not actively moving towards Christ, if there's no intentional element of pursuit in your life of faith, you're actually drifting from God. Because you will either worship, you will either ascribe worth to God, you'll attest in word, deed, and kind of the orientation of your heart and your life that he's deserving of adoration and praise, or you will downplay who he is and what he's done. There's no neutral. It's only drive and reverse and re-engaged, engaged and disengaged. I uh, drive an automatic, so those are the only ones on my car. And we're invited to draw near to God with a true heart. To come to God in sincerity with our real, authentic selves. And I think this is more than just a caution against putting up a front. It's not simply, hey, don't be fake, which is good. There's no need to put on an act. But I think approaching God uninhibited and true actually requires some excavation on our part. We might have to chisel through our callous exterior. We might have to shock ourselves out of numbness. Maybe some defrosting, which, man, we are doing this morning. I am toasty. In this church, I run really hot, and I know some of you run real cold, but whoo, feel like I'm back in uh, Sacramento in the summer. We might need some defrosting, we might need some calisthenics to warm us up for a genuine encounter. I was thinking about this quick illustration. Last week, we sang together a song called I Surrender, and these are the opening lines Here I am. Down on my knees again, surrendering all. And find me here, Lord, as you draw me near, desperate for you. And I was standing over there last Sunday. I was a little sleepy. I was listening to the words that I was bringing to God as my offering of worship. Here I am, down on my knees again, surrendering all. And I thought, yes. God, I identify with that sentiment. But then I was struck by this disconnect that existed between what I was saying and then what I was doing with my body in that physical space. I was standing respectfully. Most of us were. That's kind of what's typical, what's socially acceptable. I was not kneeling. And I thought, well, you don't technically have to kneel to be in a posture of surrender. I wouldn't expect my 96-year-old grandfather to kneel. So maybe it's not technically necessary. And I thought, a lot of the 90-year-olds I know still get on their knees to pray. And I don't have any physical infirmities or challenges that keep me from doing so. This is only one line. A lot was going through my head. And then I thought, when is the actual last time I've gotten on my knees before the Lord? Do I ever actually bow myself before him? 
And I thought, well, kneeling doesn't feel authentic. What feels right to me in this moment is to just kind of stand here in a sleepy daze. That feels true. Well, is that sincerity or is that just apathy? Should we change the lyrics to better reflect our demeanor? Lord, I'm mildly impressed and appreciative of what you've done for me. So I'll kind of sway here in silence until it gets too awkward and other people sit down. Right? Does that feel more sincere? No. It doesn't ring more true. Most of us here are be here because we do have a desperation for God. We are eager to rest in his love and power to surrender our lives into his hands. So what is more sincere? To be uncomfortable and self-conscious as you fall to your knees in public or to stand frozen like a statue as your mouth proclaims something that your body refuses to do. And so last week, I had found myself down on my knees for the first time in a long time in Sunday worship. And now I'm reminded of how in the Psalms, David calls out regularly to his own soul. He says, soul, remember God's goodness. Soul, rejoice in the Lord. Soul, lift up your voice and sing. He's preaching to his own embodied self. He's saying, draw near to God in sincerity. Wake up your tired bones. Fire up that heart that has gone cold. It's his will giving direction to his body. Re-engage in worship. Let your outside match your inside. Be vulnerable and uninhibited. Then I remember David's wife's rebuke of him when he was dancing in public in worship before the Lord. And his response to her was this, I will become even more undignified than this and I will be humiliated in my own eyes. Why? Because God is worthy And I think there's a message for us this year. Re-engage with worship. Re-engage with worship. Get a little uncomfortable. Tell your body, hey, match what you're saying on the inside. Ascribe him the worth and the adoration and the praise that he is due. Re-engage with worship. The next thing we see is to re-engage with growth. Let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. With our hearts sprinkled clean, our bodies washed. It's this reminder that we're forgiven, that our guilt and shame have been removed It's a reminder that we have a clean break with our past and Christ through his spirit has given us a new nature. Even now you can experience victory over vice. You can experience victory over 
lust, victory over pride, over anger, over resentment, over your own brokenness and compulsions. So re-engage with growth. When we receive Jesus, we don't get to say anymore, well, this is just how I am. It's how I'm wired. I have my own demons. No, he's cast out those demons and he's made you new. Reborn, washed clean, empowered by the very spirit that brought order to the universe and raised Jesus from the dead. So re-engage this year with growth. Let these words just wash over you. Romans 6, the death Jesus died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. The same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. 1 John 1, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sin and purify us from all unrighteousness. John 8, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. In Galatians 2, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, this is the year you can find strength to forgive the parent who abandoned you. This is the year you can trust God to cover your expenses without being reduced to crippling worry and all of the scheming that you're so used to. This is the year that you can end your addictions. The year that you can find the support and the accountability and the divine equipping to disrupt that cascade of emotions that causes you to regularly yell at your kids. This is the year that God can use you in new ways. He can take you into uncharted territory. He can raise you up for new leadership. Your body has been washed in the waters of baptism. You publicly have counted yourself among God's redeemed people, among those whom he is making holy, who he is shaping into his image by his power. So rest in his working, but re-engage with growth. Re-engage with growth, re-engage with worship, re-engage with confession. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope, verse 23, without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Hold fast without wavering to the content of the gospel and to its proclamation. Believe the truths of scripture and the resources of your be- recesses of your being, but also let them and let them anchor you, but also give them voice. Share them with those who need to hear. Live your faith publicly. This is 2 Timothy 4.2. Preach the word. Be prepared in season and out of season. 1 Peter 3. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. 
And do this with gentleness and respect. So if someone asks, how do I save my failing marriage? Give them the real answer. You need Jesus. You need his resources. His forgiveness. His self-giving love and power. When someone asks on Monday, what did you do over the weekend? Tell them, I went to church. We talked about what does it mean to re-engage with God and all that he has for us. We wrestled through that. In 2023, may God loosen our lips. May his spirit give us words as we re-engage with confession. Both as we confess what we believe, but as we let it out of the inside to a world that needs to hear it. So we re-engage with worship, with growth, with confession. And then the last one was mutual upbuilding and life-giving service. And the passage ends with these words. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. 2023 is a year to come back to church, to re-engage with Christian community. Not because you need to earn God's favor, not because you need to get kudos from the pastor, but because you need it, and I need it, and we need it, and I would contend that even our city needs it. Has anyone grown stagnant these last several years? Well, let's consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. All the elements of our our life of faith have to be mixed back into the solution. I keep thinking of making lemonade. The flavor and the savor of Christ's presence has to re-infuse our lives and our life together. Stir one another up. And notice he doesn't say stir yourself up. I think it's kind of like scratching your own back. It's something that you can't do for yourself. It's something that you can give and you can receive, but you can't kind of indulge in. You need someone else. And he says, encourage one another all the more as you see the day approaching. One of my great joys in this season is our uh, Wednesday night men's discipleship group. And I love the community that has formed there. I love kind of the fun and the easy camaraderie that we've developed as men and how we're sharing our lives with one another. I love how we dig into scripture and how guys ask hard questions and they really wrestle and share their insights from God's word. But my favorite thing is when I get to witness how God starts to do something in the life of one of the guys. And it starts to kind of bubble up and overflow and and spill over into the lives of the other men in that community. And maybe it starts with someone sharing a vulnerable prayer request of like, hey, I feel like the Lord's calling me to 
and this has been kind of a theme lately for us, reconcile with my estranged child. You have another brother that's like encouraging them. Yes, pursue, pursue what God has for you. There's a verse that another shares to say, hey, hold on to this promise. There's another guy that'll follow up the next week and say, hey, what did God do? How did it, how did things go down? And we celebrate together. But then I notice that one guy's faithfulness, what the Spirit's doing in his life, all of a sudden there's another man that's like, you know what? Maybe God's inviting me to trust him in that same way. And there starts to be this cascade of both the work of God, but of these men being stirred up to take risks, to trust Jesus, to do good to love. And I love it because I have nothing to do with it. I prep the lesson and I put out the drinks, but the spirit is the one who's stirring up. It's the men investing in each other saying, keep chasing after Jesus. And it's been a gift to watch. It's brothers logging the hours, utilizing their energy taking their emotional bandwidth to consider how do I stir up my buddy to all that God has for him. I love it. I almost think we need to come to church, each and every one of us, with a wooden spoon. Right? To remind us. Because... This mutual upbuilding, this life-giving service, it's not a transaction between you and I, me and your pastor. You don't come with your pitcher and say, stir me up, pastor. It's gone a little, uh, it's not flavorful anymore. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. That's not what it says. There's no word of the pastor in this. This is people of God. Come with your pitcher in one hand and your spoon in the other, and we're having a lemonade-making party. Stir one another up to love and good works. Re-engage with community, with this call to build one another up, to give your life in service to one another for the glory of God. And we'll end here, but... I also keep thinking of this dangerous little passage from 1 Corinthians 14. And you'll see why I call it dangerous. Paul writes, Pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. Now, I'll stop you there. Prophesy sounds scary. It sounds mystical. It sounds Nostradamus. But it's not in Scripture. In New Testament, to prophesy simply means to share with someone the timely word of God for them. So yes, it comes with some fear and trembling, with lots of prayer, with a big dose of humility, with extra care to, as it says in Scripture, test the spirits to see is this word that I sense the Lord giving me to speak into someone's life. Is it in line with what he's already revealed in his word? But the end of the day, these spiritual gifts, that desire to prophesy is simply to be the voice of God, God's voice of encouragement for a fellow believer. It's not, hey, this is what they need to hear. 
It's not, hey, everyone should know this. It's God's intimate word for them in the moment. It could be something as simple as, hey, God sees you and God loves you. Prophecy is God's spirit graciously revealing to us his word for another person. It's the special sauce of the stirring one another up to love and good works. It's God partnering with us in that encouragement. And Paul goes on, the one who prophesies speaks to people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. The one who prophesies builds up the church. What then, brothers and sisters, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for the building up. For building up. I said this was dangerous. Why is that? Because I got a monopoly on this little thing. On the microphone, right? You get to control what is said And this threatens it. He says, all of you should be coming. Sharing what God has been speaking to you. Sharing the lessons that he's taught you by long experience, by wrestling with the Lord. Sharing your gifts, the words that he's given you for others that encourage and that build up. And it makes me wonder, are we somehow out of order that for most of the time the only voice that we hear is mine? So I'm considering, I got a little five-minute timer, a little sand timer. I'm considering adding next Sunday a part of our Sunday worship that maybe we'll call a word a lesson, a spiritual song, where if the Lord has put something on your heart, if there's a word that he's been sharing, if there's a testimony that you have to share, let me know. We'll make space. It'll be done in decency and order, but we need to re-engage with this call to, to mutually build one another up, to serve one another to stir us to love and good works. And it's going to take us taking some risks, sharing what the Lord is doing, not just not looking and making eye contact to the person who's sitting next to you, but to invest in their life, in their walk of faith, in all that God wants to do in them and through them. And it will require us to re-engage with God and community to re-engage with worship and growth and confession and that mutual upbuilding, that life-giving service. This is kind of a scary directive for 2023, but I think it is what the Lord is calling us to, to re-engage, to offer the whole of who we are to gratitude in gratitude to the Lord as our good and proper and true worship. Amen? Amen. Well, worship team is going to close us out with a song, but let me pray for us. 
God, we love that it all begins with resting, Lord. Resting in your love, in your provision, in your working. But rest in you, God, is never passive. Actually, it is the rest, it is your power and availability that allows us to engage, to re-engage with all that you've called us to. So God, stir us up this year. Fan us into flame. May we be the worshipers, the confessors, the folks that are being sanctified and transformed, the the folks that are investing in one another for their benefit. Give us the courage, the humility, the vulnerability to re-engage with you and with each other this year. In Jesus' name we pray.